Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday, the 8th of April 2022. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast this week, you'll hear us chat about last names, people who change them, people who don't, and interesting ways to decide. Uh, Also, Dr. Jen was here talking about boring people and things and how uh, we view that. And also, Jordan Barr came in to talk about her wonderful comedy festival show, Dreams. Turns out I'm too impatient to buy new boots and actually wear them in. Uh, Elizabeth reviewed the book Homecoming by Alfie Shiyosaki. And does it really love if you haven't farted in front of your partner? It was terrific to have cinephile Simonia Ball in looking at The Bubble on Netflix in a wide-ranging chat. Also, we spoke to expert John Hopkins, who's an associate professor uh, behind new research into hybrid work and flexibility. And we looked at when eating stuff is just heaps hard. (laughs) Melbourne's own Triple R. I was chatting to a few friends over the weekend about last names uh, and if any of them take their partner's last names or their children. I think we were talking about children at the time. Uh, one of my good mates just had her second child and uh, when she sent the text message to to say the full name, it had her partner's last name. Uh, so I said, oh, what was the um, thought process behind that? How did you decide whether to take your name or your partner's name? And she said, oh, we just we didn't want a hyphenated name because we just think it's too long and it's annoying. Mm. Um but none of us was more deserving than the other, so they just rocked off. Best of three. Rock, paper, scissors. <gasps> really? Yeah. And her partner won, so they're like, all right. So the kids have got her partner's name. She kept her own, though. She kept her own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's kept her own. They're not married or anything, which is, I mean, out of wedlock, having babies. No. Disgusting. <laughs> no, yeah, so they, they've yeah. still got their own names and stuff. But, yeah, I... I couldn't stop laughing. I, I mean, mean, I kind of admire it. It's a huge decision and then totally. to be like, look, there's no logical reason why either name is better than the other. Exactly. So this is a, just as logical a, a yeah. approach. What a consequential rock, paper, scissors. I know. Oh, <laughs> sweaty palms. I know, right? <laughs> and, but it's just so them. They're just so laid back and casual. And yeah. uh, you could imagine none of them is going to be fighting, you know, for the right. It's like, yeah. no, because of this, this and this. That, that's just so them. Do you know what one, like rock or? <laughs> no, actually, I didn't ask that. That is, that's a good question. I reckon paper. Yeah. 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 Oh, now everyone who else is thinking of doing that for their name, everyone's going to go paper. Yeah, everyone's I'm going to go yeah. paper next time. <laughs> I think you're right. Paper's totally underrated. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I know you're always. It's a dark horse. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, another, a couple of my mates, they got married a few years ago uh, and they didn't want a hyphenated name either. But they combined oh, their name. Two of my friends just did that. Did they? Mm. Yeah. So uh, one was McIntyre, the other one was Beverly. So now they're Beventire. Amazing. So they're Beventire and they've got a couple of kids as well. And it's Beventire. I like it's, it. You do. Yeah. It's different. I think when they did it, yeah, they probably got married, I don't know, four or five years ago. We were a bit like, okay, I've never, I'd never heard of it. Mm. And all of us at the wedding were like, wow. And because they announced them as Beventire, it was like, Wow, that's so different. Good on them. Yeah, that's yeah. not a compliment, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so different. Good on them. It's like, yeah. So introduce you to the ugly baby. Isn't he small? <laughs> a compound no, surname. Are they called surnames? Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. so, I'll yeah. Um, yeah, friends of mine just did that. They'd been married for a few years and yeah. didn't change their names and then they were having a baby and it's like, okay, well, if we're having a baby, we don't want to do the hyphenated thing. Yeah. And I had just seen... Um, him change his name on Instagram and I just thought it was an Instagram name. And then when they had their baby, they're like introducing to the world this baby with that. I was like, oh, is that? And they said, yeah, we went and made it official. And so they've right. combined them. Yeah. 
which I think is great. We combined ours as a joke. Yeah. Because um, we set up like a joint email address when we're sending out wedding invitations. Yeah. And then I think some people thought that was what was really happening. So we got a couple of wedding cards with to the Mr. and Mrs. This. Really? Now combined name. Yeah, but we're not doing that. I don't, you know. Mm. I no, don't, yeah. no, not going. What would ours be? What are uh, Bert? McCurt. That would be ours, Daniel McCurt. That's cute. Oh, yeah. What yeah. about Babumba? Sabumba. <laughs> oh, my God, Sabumba. You and oh, me. Oh, yeah. Sabir? Sabir, yeah. Sabumba. Sabumba. Oh, I love it. What a Sabert? It's not bad. Or Babia. Oh, <laughs> Babia. Yeah, <Bibia. laughs> I like fun. it. Oh, that's a good one. Um, my brothers have six children between them, so there's like, and they're all Macumbers. So mm. I think with with me, if anything, it would just be Abby's uh, got her and a sister. Um, so if we had children, then I think we would take Abby's last name, just because there's plenty there's of Macumbers, and it's not a big yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's. Too big a deal. Well, that's good. Whatever you're comfortable with, I think. It'd be nice to have all the same name. So family. you have to go through Depol or whatever to, yeah. to make it happen. You do. You know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. I think both my sister-in-laws haven't officially mm-hmm. changed their name. But they, I mean... Too high basket. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I mean, they're, they're known as and they'll write that down yeah. everywhere. You'd want a poker face at birthdays and marriages, wouldn't you? <laughs> like you the front desk. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, ba-bum-ba, yeah. all right, <laughs> if you like, I suppose. <laughs> you sure you don't want to take a week? Yeah, sure you don't want to hyphenate that. Yeah, I know. Uh, My brother actually, when he had twins and they didn't name the children for like two weeks. Pardon me? Mm. Two weeks? Yeah. Make like, a decision. You've got nine months to think that's about what it. I, I think and their thing was they were waiting to see the babies uh, and they had names in mind. But they thought as soon as they'll see them, they'll be like, okay, yes, this is. But So what happens because there's a 60-day cutoff or something? Something like that, yes. Yeah. And so d- day 59. Well, what, sorry, what, ha- what happens on day 60? There's forever known um, as baby girl. You get girl. the name of Jane um, <laughs> the, Elon Musk's name, kid's name. <laughs> They assign you an Excel X-12 spreadsheet. X12 yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, 60 days, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there was a time I referred to my child as Chubfish for a long time. You did, in the womb. Yes, in the mm. womb. Chubfish. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't got, go with that. The, the name, you know, I've... He received an engraved pen with Chubfish on it because the name, <laughs> and it was it was like, well, you didn't say the name, so we had to engrave it with something. So it's Chubfish. <laughs> Poor boy. Good luck explaining that to the twenty first. <laughs> Him and Elon Musk here to like, I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, but yeah, is is there? Um, so the the couple themselves, do they change their name to? Or, yeah, to the hype, to the it, new merge, to the one. new merge compound name. The Bevantai did, but uh, yeah, yeah, they both did. <gasps> yeah, so wow. they, yeah, they and they did it. I think it was funny. Um, someone said, "Oh, was it was was it hard to have to organise all of that?" And the person who I'm closer friends with, she said, "No, not at all. I mean, my wife did everything, so uh, she didn't have to do a thing." Um, but yeah, she went through the whole process process of it. And does anyone get offended? Like, is it ever a controversial thing within a family? Yeah. Like, my mother's angry or whatever. Did you get that vibe? Like, it's it's or it's all positive fun. No, well, I think in it's interesting. This came up re- very recently, mm. um, and my dad has often spurred out the line, "I'm the only son of an only son of an only son." So the Sabir name is we're like the last because I think there are others, yeah. but they're not our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then 
and I don't have any nieces or nephews, so I'm like the the last hope at the moment to to carry on the family name. But I was like, well, like my partner has a say in this too and his name means something to him so we might end up hyphenating or who knows what we'll do yeah. and there was a there's a little bit of an eye twitch like what right. <laughs> and I was like don't pretend this is a feminist issue you just want your name like it's not about yes you know, I haven't changed my my name since getting married but it was this yeah. thing of like he's like but but the only son of the only son, this line always works. Like, aren't you going <laughs> to... Yeah. Like, well, I think it's a conversation that doesn't involve Exactly. You. <laughs> like, yeah. it's got nothing to do with you. You yeah. could throw out all the names and just choose a new one. And can I suggest Babumba? It's, <laughs> it's going begging. Triple R. Weird science. Elastic tubes and pots and pans. Bits and pieces and magic from the hands of making. Dr. Jen joins us for Weird Science on Breakfast. This morning, Jen. Good morning. Were you self-confessing as being very boring before Daniel? Is that what I heard? Self-confessing or accusing me, I think. Uh, um, accusing gosh. Mon, I think. Yeah, I it was heard. a flat-out accusation. Um, weird, um, oh, yeah, boring, yeah. and um, and no language warning, also rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't What a character assassination. Yeah. I can't no. believe I'm here for this. <laughs> I'm yet to hear anyone jump to my defence, though, so... <laughs> So um so I want to talk to you about some really important research today, but we have to start with a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. So describe to me the most boring person you can imagine. Specifically, I want to know what job do they do, mm. what hobbies do they have, and what personality traits do they have? The most boring person. Bobby has an answer. I do. Okay, Bobby, go. <laughs> no uh, real person, remember it's a hypothetical. Yes, hypothetical. Person. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm going to pass it. No, 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 just kidding. Um, uh, hypothetically, an assistant principal, <laughs> uh, gardening. <gasps> Digger, Digger. I hope I'm you're not s- listening, Digger. No, oh, I'm so. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop right there. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I reckon it's got to be a job where they look at a lot of, like, um, like data entry, don't deal with a lot of people, spend a lot of time yep. on their own. Oh, yes. And in conversation, they never ask you any questions and they talk a lot in a yep. monotone. Yeah. Um, and they spend a lot of time indoors. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Daniel, anything mm. to add? Oh. I think you're, you're doing quite well here, Tim. Okay. Yeah, my answer would be Mon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to tell you, but by definition then, given that you do the same job. Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 I screw myself under the bus. Take that. <laughs> Okay, so this is research that wanted to understand not necessarily what boring is, but what stereotypically is boring, essentially. So what do we think of? Exactly what I've just made you guys do, just completely stereotype mm. people. So this is research involving 500 people in the US and the UK, which is important because obviously you'd have to assume there's lots of cultural subtleties and nuances here, but at least in the UK and the US. So they asked them the typical traits of boring people and then grouped them into jobs, hobbies and uh, personality. So I can tell you that the five most boring jobs were one, data analysis. Oh. Mon is on the money. <laughs> Two, accounting. You're mm. kind of also on the money. <laughs> Three, working in tax or insurance. Oh. Mm-hmm. Four, cleaning, which I thought was a bit harsh. Oh. Mm. Um, and five, banking. So there's a lot of numbers yeah, right. in there. Yeah. yeah, maths nerds. Yeah, yeah. I think librarian also ended up on the list, which I was horrified by because who wouldn't want to spend the day around books? Mm. <laughs> I mean, really. That's it. 
Librarians on the list. Yeah. What a slight. Yeah, not in the top five, though. So that was the top five. Five most boring hobbies. This blew me out of the water. The number one most boring hobby is sleeping. I'm sorry, but that's not a hobby. That's a life (laughs) essential. Sleeping. (laughs) So I guess that's someone who says, oh, you know, what are you doing tonight? Going to bed. Yeah. Or they take a lot of naps, maybe. But naps are cool. Anyway. So number one, sleeping. (laughs) Number two, this is me just reporting the research. I don't want to offend anybody. (laughs) Number two was religion. Mm-hmm. As okay. a hobby. Yep. As a hobby. Okay. Which, again, I think probably someone would argue it's not really a, a hobby. hobby. But anyway, yeah. watching TV. So I'm sorry, everyone in the pandemic world is really boring. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people would agree with that, though. Yeah. Like. But number four really offended me. You guys know my original work was as a, as a biologist, as a field ecologist. Number four is observing animals. That's a great hobby. I mean, if Jez yeah. was here, she'd be up in arms. You know, she's right. a twitcher from way back. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah. So is this – they're not actually boring. They're perceived as boring? Mm-hmm. Well, so exactly what I just did to you, to describe somebody who's really Got boring it. to yeah. me. This yeah. is what people said. And number five, maths. People who do oh. maths as a hobby. Is your dad a mathematician? Yeah, but he never worked as one, just qualified oh. as one. Because he's not boring. He's really cool. <laughs> but does he, do, <laughs> does he do maths in his spare time, though? Uh, no, but he's the sort of person who, when we would go, when we would go on like a road trip, he would calculate like the exact time we would get there based on like the speed and the kilometers. Yeah, so and, that's totally know. maths as a hobby, right? Yeah, so he doesn't listen boring. anyway. So say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the top five most boring personality traits, according to these people, were num- number one, no sense of humour, which yes. that mm-hmm. seems pretty reasonable to me. Number two, being a bad conversationalist, which mm-hmm. is exactly yes. what you were saying, Mon. So someone who doesn't listen or ask questions, who just talks or, or doesn't talk, I guess. Mm. Um, being inactive, so people who don't leave the house, don't go places, don't do stuff. Being self-centred, absolutely. Um, and then someone who kind of actively dislikes and complains about things. So essentially a whinger. Yeah. Wow. We don't like whingers or we think they're boring anyway, which is yeah. probably true because yeah. who wants to listen to someone complaining Continuously all the time? complain. Yeah. <gasps> anyway, but so that, that's not the most exciting bit of this study. So that's just the baseline, right? That's yep. the stereotypical what we think of as boring. Mm. The interesting bit was that the researchers then created three descriptions of fictional people, one who had all of the most boring characteristics, one who had the least boring characteristics and then one in the middle and then they got people to read these descriptions and they asked them a couple of questions the first question they asked them was well how competent and friendly and warm do you think this person is which I wouldn't necessarily expect those things to be interlinked right but it turns out that somebody who is stereotypically boring is also considered to be incompetent and not friendly so if you're an accountant people just assume make the assumption Mm. that you're not going to be competent or friendly which I was shocked. Mm. Why is that? Surely your accountant, you might think they're boring because they just play with numbers all day, but surely you think they're competent or you wouldn't get them to do your tasks. That's right. I find that counterintuitive. Yeah, I don't want to – look, my accountant makes me coffee and I'm like, (laughs) he's too big on the chat. Oh, yeah. It's too interesting. Could stand to be a little more boring. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Let's, like, dial up the uh, tediousness, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just find it really – strange that just because somebody has a stereotypically boring job we assume that they're incompetent at that job is that that is it that they're incompetent at the job is it they're incompetent socially well incompetent yeah so it was was kind of around being skilled being hard-working you know doing what you need to do I guess Mm. so I don't know I found that weird yeah I think when you say whingers who don't leave the house (laughs) I like because that sounds like the main demographic on Twitter (laughs) yeah (laughs) hey mate I'm on Twitter, what are you doing? No, to say? I don't know. Not you. You're not on Doom Twitter. 
<laughs> but so the next que- the next thing they did use the same approach, but this time they asked people um, to how much would you avoid spending time with this person, or how much would you actually like to spend time with this person? And exactly, you can predict the answer, right? If someone's boring, we don't want to spend time with them. To the extent that they asked people, how much would I have to pay you oh. for you to spend time with this person? Oh. And I mean, it wasn't that much money, but essentially, if if I say, Mon, you have to spend a week with a really boring person oh. compared to you have to spend a week with this person who you think of as kind of fun and interesting, you know, like there's, there's money involved, which yeah. just shows how much we actively avoid people that we perceive as boring based on ridiculous stereotypes. Is there anything about those people? So say there's like a data analyst and someone who works at the ATO um, who like find each other. <laughs> you know, do, do they not see their Love own boringness? Sight. Yeah, where they oh, we don't have to. We can just monologue about our jobs and not ask each other how we're feeling. Well, I think, like, I think that's the whole point of this research, right? Like, I kind of left this research just thinking, well, everyone finds someone interesting and everyone finds someone boring. I mean, no matter how exciting a job you have, there's going to be someone who finds you incredibly boring. Yeah. So I guess it just the study is all about questioning stereotypes and really being aware of our motives you know if you're told oh I'm having a party and I really want to introduce you to my mate who's an accountant if you have a gut response of oh god please don't I can't come to the party actually why because that person might actually be really really interesting or you could have someone who does something cool who and they're really boring yeah yeah they're a bad conversationalist well that's what I found really interesting oh I have to tell you one other thing that came out of the study was people who think smokers are boring and Uh people think that people who live in middle-sized towns are boring. What is that? <laughs> so if you live that? in a small town, you're really quirky. And if you is a city, you're hip. So but like if you Geelong, live in a middle-sized town... Is, would you call Geelong a middle-sized? Well, too big? Well, That's I guess, huge. you know, this is US-UK, so I guess it's slightly different. You yeah. know, our sort of towns mid-sized. and cities are a bit different. <laughs> Love that. Um, you really triggered one listener who says, oh, no, I work from home for the ATO and enjoy naps. No! <laughs> and works out how long until I get home by the big green distance signs and the speed of the car. Well, I think... And I- then said, oh! <laughs> I'm sorry, oh. you are obviously the most boring person listening. But, uh, oh, no, but I was going to say we love you and thank exactly. you. Exactly. No, yeah, of course, that's but what I was going to say. So. I have to tell you really good. I have to tell you really quickly before we run out of time, yeah. or you have to tell me, guess, what are the five most exciting jobs according to these people? Oh, okay. Um, like a some kind of performer or, or mm. performing art. arts is number performing one. Arts. Oh, oh. Mon is so good at this. You are good. Did it's you good. study? What? I, I mean, <laughs> boringness. <laughs> yeah. Did but my I'll give, in you, I'll give you a hint about number two. Number two made me very happy. Scientists. Scientists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And number three is journalists, which oh. presumably the main science journalists are like the coolest hey. people. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got there in the end. We ended up at the humble brag. Yeah, you made it. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't help myself. Uh, Dr. Jen, thanks heaps. See ya. Triple R. Jordan Barr was nominated for Best Comedy at the 2018 Melbourne Fringe in the same year as a Victoria Raw Comedy State finalist. After last year's debut show, Zombie, Jordan is back with a new hour of stand-up and musical comedy called Dreams. And to tell us about it, the actor and comedian joins us now. Jordan, welcome to Breakfasters. Oh, my God, thank you for having me. <laughs> Jude, it's such a pleasure for us. Um, <laughs> opening night was last night. Yes. It was very exciting. It was fun. It's always fun to open on a Monday. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the vibes were very, very good, which was nice. Sweet. It's great. Um, and, and between first show and show two tonight, what do you do? How do you uh, reflect? Do you take uh, do you time change yourself? Anything? Yeah. 
Um, I might tweak a couple things here and there, but the main thing is to not get like second show fever. Don't get complacent because the second show is when you really mess it up. You know? <laughs> Especially if it went fine and then you're like, okay, cool, I can really rest on my laurels now. So I've probably got more anxiety for the second show than I do for opening shows just because I'm petrified that I'll muck something up. So I'll be really like going back to my nose, going yeah, over yeah. the song. Like, yeah. um, and what is Dreams? Is it highbrow? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, it's it's um, I gotta describe it because sometimes I uh, most of the stuff that I know is because somebody told me one time, um, or like I I'm really terribly paraphrasing a podcast that I listened to or I read the title of an article. So I'm like, it's kind of me comprehending um, the world and what the future might hold, um, but with how my brain processes things, which is usually through the lens of shows like Sister Wives on TLC and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So. What is it about that stuff? Do you Is that a guilty pleasure for you or you just lean into it? I do not feel guilty yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. It's what I enjoy. Yeah. yeah. It's what I want to do. Um, when people ask me if it's good, I tell them no. <laughs> is the show great? No. Um, but... Yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's kind of an escape as well. And mm. like the, you know, the issue with the shows like Sister Wives is um, finding a home to house them all. Yes. <laughs> like, or like three homes with a, a uniting backyard, you know. <laughs> it's not like dealing with the climate crisis. You right. Know? <laughs> now, what is it with you? Because you are in the paper the other day about the climate crisis. Uh, yes. Was this show going <laughs> yes. to be climate related? Do you? How do you look at big topics? Yeah, it was, but I think it was like the issue of like sitting down and being like, okay, cool, I'm going to write a show about climate change, yeah. and starting with that was not good. It yeah. was, it wasn't great. So I just kind of went back to like the the bits that I had that I've been working on in clubs and stuff around for the past couple of years mm-hmm. um, and then putting that all together and then looking at the through line. And the stuff is like already there in your subconscious. Whatever you've been thinking about or dwelling on kind of comes through in your comedy, I think, mm. anyway. So it was like it, you can just kind of piece together the bits and then usually there's some kind of through line. And it is by what's been happening the, over the last, you know, 30, 40 years yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> links to it. Yeah. Is it one of those things, because I know with Comedy Festival you have to register so early, did you say that your show was going to be about climate change and then it's completely different? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little less. I was, I've, I've learned to be a little bit more vague with, mm. the, with the copy about what the show's going to be about when you register it in like three years earlier or whatever they're requesting <laughs> now. Um, but, yeah, it was. I, I knew that I wanted to call it Dreams because I think I'm just committing to naming each show after a Cranberries song oh, so nice. last year was zombie yeah. now it's strange now i'm getting into the real b sides <laughs> now you've that. got ode to my family yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i'll save that for like a big family event yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so i i knew that i had the title dreams and i was like okay when i think about dreams i think about dreaming about the future what does the future hold oh no <laughs> Well, you're a graduate from VCA, is that right? Yes, thank you. Mm. <laughs> Very fancy. With a Bachelor of Fine Art as well. Is is does is stand up slumming it artistically or do you have to hide your artistic light under a bushel at all? <laughs> it's definitely slumming it. Um, it's not as glamorous as like as as an opening night at the art centre or anything like that <laughs> that my like fellow grads are doing. <laughs> 
Um, I don't think, I think it's, it takes a, um, a lot more, uh, what I think personally, I, it took a lot more like, um, guts to like get up there and be like, these are my own words and my Mm. own thoughts. Um, whereas when I would do musicals, um, this is what I trained in. If, if the show was a bit crap, it was like, well, this show was written by, you know, who knows (laughs) and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of like, um, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, which is also great. It's an amazing collaborative experience. But then with stand up, it was like, no, this is this is all me. These are all my words and my thoughts, and I'm presenting them to mm. you, which is kind of daunting. With that musical theatre background, when people come and see you do stand up, do they get a shock when you actually sing and you've got a great voice? Yeah, I think so. And I think also because sometimes when I write these songs, I'm not thinking about my voice at all yeah. mm-hmm. so like I'll, I'll like say things like I've, I've studied musical theatre blah 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 and then I'll be like oh horses 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 <laughs> like it's not <laughs> it's kind of always like I'm going against one. just like Julie Andrews <laughs> yeah exactly Beautiful. transported to a different plane um, but in this show I've got a song at the end that it kind of it, I, I guess kind of shows off my, my vocal training a little bit more and I don't really talk about it at all throughout the show and then I come out with it so maybe people People are a little bit surprised. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a rhyme that's just one rhyme that you're like, okay, I'm taking the rest of the day off. That was fantastic. I'm wrapped with that rhyme. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, out of context, it sounds silly. Of course. I know. It doesn't matter. We're not. It's, we're just going off the rhyme. And um, absolutely. Comedic. And it's not a perfect rhyme, but it does. It did give me a little giggle. Um, I have a song at the end uh, about a cowboy billionaire trying to um, come to terms with his strange son. <laughs> and um, he says, I thought that it was sleep paralysis, but it was just my son sitting on my chest. <laughs> nice. Which again, Sounds strange out of context. That would have been fun. (laughs) Um, And you reference uh, philosophers. Is that still in the show? Yeah, but I guess, like, through, again, through the lens of, like, the philosophers, it's, like, Cody Brown and his four wives. (laughs) Right. Um, I've kind of uh, used a a little bit of, um, like, Philosophers for Dummies <laughs> like yep, yep, yep. vibes throughout the show, but it's not as if you're coming for philosophy, you will be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, is it? Do, do you have you had a look at zombies? Do you reckon you've changed much in the in the year? Um, yeah, I think a little bit. I think zombie was like more kind of like um, I'd done one solo show at the comedy festival before, and that was kind of a sketch show, and that had a real high concept and was a lot of fun. And then zombie was my first stand-up show with a bit of musical comedy where I was being myself. And it was kind of like most debut shows or debut-ish shows, um, you're kind of introducing yourself to the audience and, like, mm. and it's very, like, memories and stuff like that. And this show still kind of obviously is still me kind of talking a, a lot about myself and my um, awkward teenage stories and stuff like that, but it's a little bit more... Um, uh, bigger world consequences and stuff like that rather than my own life and my own stories. So yeah. that's kind of, I think, a, a natural shift, when, mm. especially when you're kind of new to the comedy world. You start off with a lot of your awkward teen stories and then you, when you drain that well, <laughs> you've got to, like, move into some, some more kind mm. of bigger world things. Would your uh, – people who went to school with you at, or, you know, at the VCA, would they, would they go, oh, yeah, I saw this for Jordan, that makes sense, or were you – did you hide that side of yourself funny. a little bit? Yeah. Secretly funny. 
Um, I think I think maybe I think some people I think some people from high school might have might be a bit surprised because I think I kind of came into my own a little bit at uni. I just I I kept getting cast as the grandmothers, like sassy <laughs> grandmothers or like pregnant women, like anyone who just like couldn't dance. <laughs> they were like, stop this woman from dancing. <laughs> it's not doing well for her. Um, and I think that's when I was like, oh, okay. So I I think I'm. I, I need I've got some timing that I can use and stuff like that. Maybe I'll I'll mainly play comedic roles and stuff like that. Um, but high school, maybe they'd be a little bit surprised. Every any time I bump into people, they just um, they're just constantly like concerned that like stand up seems so scary. I'm like, I, I think there are scarier things. Like yeah, you're right. a surgeon. Stakes are a bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, how many shows? Where is it laid on it? Um, there's a billion shows. I'm running <laughs> the whole festival, um, which I think closes, and I could be wrong, but I think it closes around the 24th mm-hmm. of April. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm on at 9.10 at Trades Hall, um, and Trades Hall as as a hub is just a, a, such a, a, an incredible um, vibe this year. It's been really fun. There's so many great shows, and it's an honour to be a part of it. Yeah. Do you uh, Just finally, the, the people who have supported you that you – you know, like what? What's the support like in the comedy community, or is it a, a um, dog eat dog? Or oh yeah, it's every man for himself <laughs> <laughs> and every man. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's it's pretty great. I I um I was really really lucky, kind of coming into the comedy world. I've got a couple of mates, um, hot department, um, Honor and Patrick. Honor and I actually met when we were thirteen. We both went to high school together, mm. so we've known each other for a long time and just have by accident um, or by plan, who knows, <laughs> ended up both doing comedy and doing that as a as a job. So having that kind of support and someone who's, like, known you since you were, you know, awkward and wearing eyeliner um, <laughs> when you shouldn't be, <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's pretty great. And then overall, I, I've, I really love the comedy community in, in Melbourne. Everybody really supports each other. You see it in every show. When everybody wraps up, they list about 10 shows that they want everyone to see, yeah. which must be hard for the audience to keep up with. But it's because they've got 10 people that they genuinely love and genuinely think are really funny to recommend. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Jordan Barr is in dreams. Uh, go to comedyfestival.com.au. It's at Trades which is a glorious little hub. And uh, thank you so much for swinging by. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. Loved it. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I went to buy some new boots the other day. I haven't bought boots in a very long time. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get some. And I went old school Doc Martens. Great. I, I haven't owned a pair of Doc Martens. So. Well, when the staff member asked me, I said 25 years and... They said that that was older than they were. Anyway, uh, so then I walked out of the shop and I went to another place. Uh, (laughs) um, But I was trying them on. I I do like the look of them and I do remember um, wearing them, you know, when I was a teenager and loving them. And, and, you know, they were really comfy. But the staff member, when I put them on, uh, God, they were so uncomfortable. Mm. (laughs) Like the old school just ate ups. And I I was walking around like, okay, this, all right, maybe we'll just take a little bit to wear in and... Um, and I was going to purchase them and then they just said, oh, so you know because you've owned them that it will take about six to eight weeks for for these to be worn in. I said, I'm sorry, six to eight weeks? He said, yeah, six to eight weeks. Um, so, like, in the meantime, maybe wear double socks, you'll have blisters, just to be aware that they're not going to be comfortable for two months. Wow. Like, who goes through two months of that? So you have to 
how regular are you wearing them a few well, times a week? Well, I, I didn't actually specify that, but he, he did say um, after two months, then they'll be the most comfortable shoes for the next five years. Mm. And I mean, I think all I recall is them being comfortable. Oh. I don't recall the wearing in bit, which I'm sure I did go through, but it was enough to deter me and I just went, oh, you know, I don't think I want to go through that pain. That's it, really? Yeah. Anyway, and then he looked in because I was wearing other shoes that I had to wear in as well. He goes, so... You would have had to wear those in, which mm. were Birkenstocks. And I went, oh. He said, yeah, they, they're they similar. It's so, not. No, it's and not. And I was like, well, I don't recall that either. Mm. You, you've got a pair of. Yeah, that's not six to eight weeks. No. He's being silly. But I, I think someone that I was talking to recently was saying that they went to buy a pair of Birkenstocks um, and they couldn't believe how uncomfortable they were, but were told that you just have to wear them in, and then and because they do mould to your they do, your, and sometimes I put my if I put on someone else's, I'm like, oh, these feel so different. Yeah, completely. Um, but I think maybe because they're open and your toes aren't all smooshed in, yeah. it's less painful. I know, and you haven't got the um, shoe rubbing on the back of your heel. I yeah. mean, that's the worst, yeah. isn't it? Horrible. Um, typical millennials are shoeing, you know, delayed gratification. You need your instant hit. You want comfort all the time. You're not prepared to sacrifice. Me? You, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. It yeah. is. That's true. It's what, true. What? <laughs> how old are you, Dave? No, I know, I know. Um, but how come – so you walked out. That I know. So I feel bad for the salesperson because they, like, you know, the they facts hurt. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were honest. And, but, yeah, they, they, were, they were actually okay about it. But, I mean, this is an issue that I need to deal with because that was probably a month ago. So I might be in – Better shoes right now. Mm. If, if I had a, if I had a just got them, but I'm the same. Like I, I had spoken about this when I wanted to book a haircut, and they're like, "Well, you can't book in for eight weeks." I'm like, "Well, no." Yeah, yeah. That was nearly eight weeks ago. Yeah, I, and I haven't had the haircut. Oh. What is it about? Because I, when I hear, you know, you have a challenge and you need to be stoic and it's going to be rough, but the grass is greener on the other side. Mm. I promise. I find that quite inspiring. Yeah, definitely. Stick it out. Yeah, stick it out. Yeah. It's like things that need to be prepped, like a. I'm not sure if this happens so much anymore, but a cricket bat, you know, like you need to oil and knock it in. You can't, you know, you've got this new bat, but you can't go out and use it. I know. Oh, you can't use it. it? Why not? You have to knock it in first. Don't you do that by playing with it? No. No, you have to, no, you have to bang it in. Nowadays you can buy bats that are just about knocked in, but you'd have to spend days, weeks banging this thing in. So loud. Oh. I mean... What is it called? A knocker in a row? You can yeah. So you can buy a ball that's attached to it, like it's like a hammer, but it's a cricket ball yeah. at the end of it, and then you just bang, 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 bang. What every- happens if you just play with the new bat? You'll crack the bat. So why you- don't they just make them better? Well, now they actually make them <laughs> where they have a machine that you can it will hit it in for you. Mm. Which I mean, they should have done a bloody long time ago. Yeah. But the delayed gratification, like mm. imagine if you bought them and then you're right here nursing your blisters, you'd be like, uh, it's uh, worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. How sweet. It'll bond you to the shoe. I think I have gone through enough of my years of being uncomfortable in yeah. shoes that I'm just like, no more. Yeah, like okay. heels, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you know what? I am not very tall, so I do need a little bit of a booster. So if anything, I'll wear a wedge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i got to tell you. They've got to get rid of the cork wedges. I mean, cork doesn't go with anything, but I find wedges... 50% of them are bloody cool. Did you wear... Maybe it's just where I'm shopping. But. Did you wear heels at your wedding? I wore wedges. Cork wedges? No, white. They were, they were <laughs> white wedges. I mean, I'll never wear them again. But, yeah, no, I mean, I can't wear a heel. And then 
with outfits now, I actually, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine and she was talking about dressing her child, who is a toddler. And she's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not going to put her in dresses or sandals mm. that she's not comfortable with. So she wears, like, if she wants to wear a dress, she can wear a dress, but she'll wear them with sneakers. And I'm just like, this is exactly what I wore right. over the weekend. Like, <laughs> like I'll wear sneakers with dresses. Yeah. I'll wear whatever is comfortable. So and That kid sounds like a slob. <laughs> yeah, they never worked hard for anything. <laughs> And then the pain of shoes. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I think I've been through too much pain with shoes and I'm just like, no, nah, I'm done. But I, I I, still do wish I had the So boots. you haven't bought a new pair? No, I haven't. Now I'm just walking around in sneakers with every bloody outfit. It's oh. like, grow up. Yeah. I know I need I, Yeah, I went to it. I was trying to, I was struggling to find shoes to wear at home the other day and I have two pairs of boots that I never wear because they haven't been worn in. And they're too uncomfortable. So I think, oh, I don't want to wear these at a day that I'm like going to school. Yeah. Because you are a lot of time on your feet. So then I'm like, well, I don't want to wear them walking down the street because the soles are like slippery and I don't want to slip over. So then <laughs> I have these two like really kind of newish pairs of boots in my wardrobe that I got two years ago, I reckon. Yeah. That I don't wear because they're too new and I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so I just wear Birkenstocks everywhere. Huh. Yes. Yeah, I'm embracing being uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, good I'm on enjoying you. it. Mm. Um, you know, shirts and jumpers that like, it, you know, the pandemic's, you know, the lockdown's over mm. and so there's no more Ugg boots for me. Yeah. And so, you know, put those uncomfortable shoes on. Yeah. Get those blisters. Roll your ankle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm all, I'm pro comfort, but that doesn't mean you have to rock around in like. No. Uh, Udi or whatever those but, things are. But, you, you know, know, Bobby's so, you know, you got mistaken f- by one person who lives in your apartment blog as a nurse. Oh, yeah. Because you were in flowing sneakers <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. and track pants. I just really need to up my game fashionably, don't I? I'm well, no, slum. I'm not arguing that. I just, I, I <laughs> would you go back? Are they, what are Doc Martens? I mean, are they they're Australian or are they? Uh... Well, someone texted in. They think I, th- I think they thought it was me with a Doc Martin issue. Mm. It's Bobby. <laughs> they, no, so they were first made in Germany. Interesting. Yeah, I thought they, there you go. So 1947. Wow. They so that means they're onto something. In high school, it was always like the arty kids. Yeah. Is so, that is that in, held on? Yeah, oh, I think it was just everyone at my school. Right. Mm. It uh, was yeah, like I said, a long. And yellow ago. threads. A yellow like oh, yeah, yellow that, laces. Yellow laces. Yeah. That's right. Is that what you're gonna do? I like how we're planning this for shoes you didn't get. Yeah, no no no. Well no, I'm gonna go and get them. And I'm tell not gonna get yellow no, laces. No, you tell me the ones. store, I'll go get them. <laughs> I'm going to suffer for this is Christ like. Daniel is not afraid of hard work. I'm going to suffer for Bobby's Doc Martin sins. <laughs> I wanna know I wanna know the the <laughs> Doc Martin sins. Well, how do you get around? Because I got blisters last weekend when I went hiking in hiking boots, and yeah. I'd in worn them. I wore them before, but I think maybe not enough or whatever, and so I got huge blisters on the back of both heels, like absolutely symmetrical. Oh. Um, and how long have you had the hiking boots? I've probably, I reckon I've done like eight hikes in them. Oh, but okay, okay, that yeah. should be plenty. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't had blisters before. Maybe bad socks. This is getting more boring by the minute, if I'm honest. <laughs> Why weren't you carried like the princess you are? <laughs> I know, yeah. Just rolled my way down the mountain afterwards. Triple R. Book 
critic Elizabeth McCarthy joins us on the line to share with us what she's been reading. Morning, Elizabeth. Hey, breakfasters. How are you going? We're good, I think. Um, That's good. And uh, we're dipping into poetry this week. Well, kind of. So um, I thought I'd review something that has been um, part of the um, Stella Prize shortlist. So the Stella Prize shortlist recently was announced and a writer, a Noongar and Yoruru writer from WA, Elfie Shiyasaki, has been um, shortlisted for her book Homecoming, which, um, as I'll share with you, is a mix of poetry and prose. So, um, so Elfie is um, she's worked as an anthology editor and this book that she's um, this is the first book that she's actually authored in her own right so it's out via Magabala Books um, which is a fine Indigenous publishing house and yeah as I said it's just been shortlisted for the Stella so it's a book about her family's history it's a history that is intractably baked into colonial violence in this country and the stories in this book are um, of Elfie Shiyasaki's, uh, you know, their they're ancestors basically, and they're drawn um, largely from written and oral testimonies. So she's transformed these testimonies using a hybrid of prose and poetry a.k.a. her own artistic licence. And the sources of testimony <clears throat> switch uh, between letters to the editors of newspapers in the early 1900s in WA, the 1934 Royal Commission into the Treatment of Aboriginal People. There's testimony from that in this book. There's personal letters. There's letters to that uh, heinous bureaucrat A.O. Neville, who in the early part of the 20th century was bestowed the title Protector of Aborigines in Western Australia. There's audio recording transcripts um, and intergenerational verbal storytelling committed to memory and prose. So it's a real hybrid and there's a lot of different voices um, speaking and testifying in this book. And she's taken these artefacts of her family's history and uh, played with structure and format to make this book. And, And the result is really captivating and immersive. How does it gel? It gels really beautifully. So she switches voices between um, uh, grandparents, great-grandparents, mothers. Um, Yeah, it's actually quite incredible the way you can have all these different voices blended like that because it could, you know, something – I mean, it's very ambitious and something like that can sometimes end up really confusing for the reader. Um, but there's ac- it's actually annotated really well as well, so so that you know uh, this is actually, um, say, a letter that's written to um, the editor of you know the West Australian newspapers in the early 20th centuries. It's actually annotated down the bottom that this is what it is. However, it's been sort of transformed into poetry. Mm. Yeah. So and and there's also um, you know one thing I really love about really ambitious and adventurous um, books like this is they often include uh, sort of sketches and there's um, some paintings that are included as well. So, yeah, it, it's it's quite stunning and it's in, it's actually incredibly short. And one thing that the Stella Prize has done this year is has opened up 
the prize to poets um, and this is sort of a debate that was happening in stellar prize circles for a few years as to whether to sort of allow poetry to uh, be submitted for the prize and you know, you can see in the shortlist there's other um, works of poetry as well that have been shortlisted this year. So it sort of really opened up, um, you know, what could possibly win the Stella Prize. As effectively a professional reader, do you have a different oh. approach when you <laughs> do prose and poetry? Does your brain switch into a different mm. gear and does that uh, affect your approach to the book itself? Um, that's, that's an interesting question, Daniel, because I think that when you're reading, say, a sort of traditional prose novel, um, that is quite linear, um, often it's more a case of when you put down and pick up the novel of how you kind of need to refresh your brain Mm -hmm. as to where you're at. And when you're reading something that's traditional prose written in a linear way, you don't really have to do much refreshing at all. But when you pick up a book like this and put it down to, you know, get a cup of tea or, you know, or put it down for two days, I find that um, you have to do a bit of work to get back into immersing yourself in it. Into sort of Because often these kinds of books create um, – you're not only dealing with uh, ambitious um, – oh, not ambitious, but you're not only dealing with um, con- content that's um, confronting but also form that you're not – that isn't really part of your regular reading mm. because, I mean, we, we're all reading the internet, say, every day of our lives. We're reading Twitter or we're reading newspaper, you know, The Guardian or, you know, news.com.au or we're reading essays and stuff. And most of this writing that we're absorbing on a daily level is is linear, it's straightforward, it's the way that our brains have sort of been trained from school onwards that stories are told and that essays are written in particular ways. And so when you read something like this, work that um, Elfie Shiyosaki's written, which breaks away entirely from those sort of traditional ways of storytelling, um, I think the brain does have to kind of do a little bit of rewiring and um, reprocessing of the way it absorbs information. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that um, people who study brain activity have a lot to say about this sort of stuff, far far more articulate probably than I am right now. Is it still accessible because of that, the way it's written and the sort of unstructured nature of it? Look, I think it is. Mm. Um, I don't think you need any sort of, um, you know, qualification. You don't or, need to be a professional um, reader. <laughs> no, I don't think you need to be a professional reader. And I think one of the... Um, hesitancies that we still have when we say the word poetry is that people sometimes think that they're not fit for reading poetry. Mm. Um, Actually, can I also suggest that one thing I did this year was I signed up to um, this website called, I think it's called poetry.org, and they they email you a poem a day. Mm. And if you're someone who... uh, would you know like to sort of get in training or get fit for poetry reading this is a really good way to sort of start that and and what I'm finding signing up to this website poetry.org where they drop a poem into your um 
email box each day is that you don't end up reading every single day. You might only actually open the email twice a week, but it's a good enough start. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do understand that some people feel quite allergic to poetry and they hear the word poetry and they think, oh my God, or, you know, um, that it's somehow this particular type of um, literature that is uh, pretentious, inaccessible, and um, not for, you know, the common person. Um, but I, I mean, I find this this book incredibly accessible. And as I say, the way that she has annotated um, the bottom of most pages, so you know exactly who's speaking, what kind of testimony it is, where it's drawn from, i.e. if it's it's coming from, say, the Royal Commission testimony or, or if it's a letter to the editor that she, as an artist, has sort of reworked and, and made it sort of look quite different on the page. All right. Well, mm. if, uh, we want to strengthen our poetry fitness. Uh, what is What are the details <laughs> of this shortlisted Stella Prize book? Yeah, so um, I picked it up at uh, local bookshop readings on the weekend. Um, I'm sure it's in all um, bookshops at the moment because it's been shortlisted. It's called Homecoming. And it's by Elfie Shiasaki, and it's out through Megabala Books. Beautiful. Elizabeth, thanks heaps. No worries. Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R. One of Abby's students um, farted in class last week, which <laughs> teaches kids uh, public speaking uh, between the ages of like 8 and 14. And she came and told me, and I was when she told me, I was mortified thinking of that child and how embarrassing it would be. They're all sitting on the floor, all in a group. Mm. together and I was like oh my god were they okay what happened the poor thing I just can't imagine how embarrassed I would have been and she said oh it's not the first time it's happened she's like and when it does everyone just burst out laugh like everyone just laughs and that person laughs for a couple of minutes until they recompose themselves she goes the class just gets disrupted for about three to five minutes and then we get back onto it I was like oh okay well that's not too bad I mean working at a school you mm. had people but your high school so I imagine it might be a little bit more embarrassing people try to hide it like they yeah. haven't done it and definitely just, yeah, yeah. And, and even like the even I've noticed I still remember one time it happened with these um like year eight boys with big bravado who you know always class clown kind yeah. of thing and then one of them farted and his mate was sitting next to him was like do you just fart and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> I think if you don't own it, and that's I was when standing right there, and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go now." And then I was like, "Oh my god, what if they blame it on me?" That's, <laughs> that's the nightmare of a teacher getting blamed for it. Oh, oh, um, I can't think of. I'm sure there would have been plenty of times that, like in primary school, when something like that might have happened. But I, I don't, I've either blocked it out yeah. or I don't recall. Um, but you know, I find it interesting when you're in a new relationship with someone and you don't fart in front of your partner until mm. you're comfortable. I had, and I kid you not, I had friends uh, that were together for 10 years Mm -hmm. and had not passed wind, farted in front of each other. Like um, how can you be in a relationship for 10 years sharing the bed and not do this? Like I don't – Someone told me – I won't throw them under the bus. Someone told me that once about their – said, well, I, you know, I never farted in in front of my partner after seven years. I'm like, yeah, well, you're not together now, eh? So (laughs) – Oh, yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Maybe that's a secret. Yeah. You know? Like even a couple of years, I, I had another couple of mates who were friends and they were always just really uptight. And so when I heard that they hadn't farted in front of each other, I was just like, yeah, no, that, uh, makes, that, sense. that makes sense. I don't even think they talk <laughs> to one another. <laughs> I don't think I uh, – look, it's all deny, deny, deny. <laughs> and, and, and also it's obvious you're lying anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter that – you 
it's denial. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's it's like you those students were you fun yeah. yeah. What no. was the response? No. no. <laughs> yeah. It's because it was all, very audible. I was like, yeah. "Whoa, yeah, did you just right. was that you?" Yeah. I, I remember approaching, um, walking around the class and not doing work one time, and this girl who is was a very good like never did anything wrong. Yeah. But as I got closer to her de- desk, this look of panic oh, in her no, face, and she just yeah. watched me come over, and I was like, "Oh, she might be doing the wrong thing." And then I guess I got closer. I was like, "No, no, she stinks." <laughs> She yeah. obviously just thought she was in the clear. Teacher's not near me. And then I just you... was Did like, you do a U-turn? Yeah, I kind of just was like, oh, looks like you're on track. And then get walking around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I remember being uh, in a relationship with Abby when we first started. We were doing long distance, so we had times of being apart and stuff. But it, after a few months, I don't know, if it was six months or whatever it was, mm. when we were together, I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I, I said, I'm sorry, Abby but there is something that I've been holding in <laughs> for a very long time and I can't hold it in anymore. She obviously, and of course this was my aim, was to make her panic and not to make her panic, but just make a big deal Think of it. Think you had a secret family <laughs> yes. overseas. She's, she's thinking, oh, my God, you're cheating on me. There's someone else. And then I just let out a big fart. Great. <laughs> and I thought it was really funny. And she was a bit awkward about it. Oh no! But then, no, no, no. But then laugh. But I think she was awkward because she was just, she was having a panic attack, and she was still like, "Yeah, but what's the thing?" You have to- yeah, exactly. And then I go, "Oh, that feels so much better." Like now, can we just do this? And she, and then we were fine, and we both did, and it was all Great. good. But she's like, "That was the worst thing that you could have done." <laughs> that was Don't the best ever do thing. That. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What a fabulous way to soften the blow, <laughs> and and to break the farting ice, and. <laughs> Because henceforth it's on, isn't it? Yeah. Like you broke the fart seal. Exactly. <laughs> and I tell you, ever, ever since then, so much, so much more. Dates are on. <laughs> Triple R. Here to talk screen stuff, Simone you always lifted us with their presence in the studio. Morning, Simone. Yeah. Hello, so everyone. Good. Hi. In the flesh. In the flesh. More than a hand. So fleshy. So fleshy. <laughs> that comment is the equivalent of the movie I'm about to discuss. Oh, right. that's it. Yesterday's news. Because you've had flesh people in the studio for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hybrid. Ish. You're hybrid ish. Did I ruin your intro? No, no, no. We're Continue. going. We're, we're going. It. Yeah, exactly. We're going great guns. Um, Judd Apatow, I didn't know that was, this was on the cards. Who did? Mm. It was a pan- he made a, pand- a pandemic movie mm. about the pandemic about the pandemic mm. for Netflix, mm. which seems to be where careers go to <laughs> go to be middling. I hate Netflix. I hate Netflix, <laughs> even though there are things on Netflix that I love. Sure, of course. Yeah. Do you hate what it's done? No, don't ask me about okay, it. Sorry, Simone's Simone. a better ambassador for I'm hating not, Netflix. I'm always like I'm always thin on the details, but basically, yeah. Netflix has. This phenomenal look. It is apparently incredibly artist friendly. Mm-hmm. Netflix uh, they do harvest their rights, but artist friendly in the sense that they'll put out any crap that an artist deems to be um, complete, mm. whether or not it's been through what would be a traditional um, film quality assessment cycle. <laughs> anyway, Netflix basically programs by algorithm, mm. according to you know like one article I've read on the subject, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it has the capacity now because of its market share to be offering these incredibly attractive deals to very high-profile uh, filmmakers. And so all of these films 
you know, like the Irishman, like the bubble, are making their debut on the small screen instead of the big screen, which is obviously eroding an already unstable uh, theatrical industry that has been horrifically impacted uh, by the pandemic. And for some reason, I mean, you'd sort of forgive it, maybe, if the f- I, w- I wouldn't personally, but I know a lot of the pe- mm. other people don't care about watching things on the big screen. I do. Mm. You'd maybe forgive it if the films were exceptional, mm. but they all seem to be c- just a bit crap, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit crap in a way you can't quite put your finger on. The cinematography is not as good. It look they look like they're shot for television, mm. um, but really it's like the script. Uh, I feel like having never made a film and not knowing what I'm talking about, it feels like the scripts are undercooked right. every time. Mm, like yeah. Would that be fair, Daniel? Yeah, that that all rings true. And I just sense culturally there's a lot of sizzle and not much sausage. Yeah. yeah. They used to be better because they used to buy other people's good films. Yes. And now mm. they generate their own content. Well, that's right. And also just uh, they'll, you know, if the ABC or the BBC or whoever lifts up a star or an artist and then Netflix just swoops in and takes it. Harvest them. Harvest them, yeah. Mm. There's that whole that. thing. I can't remember her name, but the woman who made I Will Destroy You. Um, Michaela, Cole. Michaela Cole. She turned down Netflix to offer like yeah. a, oh. a million dollars, and she's mm. like, million dollars, you get all my rights. And then she said, no, mm. oh. I'm going to HBO. But then on the other hand, uh, in one of his random rants, um, Dave Chappelle was like, I am AF with Netflix because I asked them to take down a series that I was involved in that I actually don't get royalties for because it upset me, mm-hmm. and they did. Yeah, mm. right. That might be the because he's Dave Chappelle and they wanted to do, deal with him. Yeah. Anyway, anywho. Uh, so, but, but The Bubble's on Netflix. <laughs> the Bubble is on Netflix. So Judd Apatow has made his um, Netflix movie. Some ne- some straight-to-streaming films, like Palm Springs. Yeah. Oh, what a movie. So good. Yeah. And the only sad thing about Palm Springs is oh. that I couldn't experience it. It was actually de-elevated, what's the word, by the fact that it debuted on a streaming platform. Right. I don't care what anyone says. That was on Amazon, wasn't it? It was yeah. on Amazon. It's such a good movie, but no one is ever going to remember it with the same, I think, oh, maybe I'm just No, old. that's right. No, that's 100% right. Culturally, it doesn't land in your heart because yeah. you're associating with your you know, embarrassing carpet and your stupid partner. Yeah, you don't have that sort of event of going out to a movie and actually the timing of release the coordination of when people go out that big box office weekend and how that drives media. Yeah. Um, I feel like it doesn't it doesn't actually imprint the same way that theatrical releases And do. I know we're way off topic here, but if you were creating a film, I would think, well, if this is just going to be lost in the ether of a streaming service, mm-hmm. it, even you're denuded of the sense of place. It's like, well, this is going to launch on this date and I know that there's mm-hmm. going to be this many eyeballs because I don't think you'll even learn how many people necessarily watch it. That. That's well, stuff Amazon, sort of secret. Amazon Prime knows. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Do yeah, I yeah. know if you finish it? Because I'm sure a lot of people start a streaming. Film they know when... when you finish it. They know exactly when you finish it. Mm. And the algorithms are in part driven by that content. Mm. They know everything. Mm. They can probably read your eyeball movements. <laughs> they know everything. You get a vaccine tracker. <laughs> All right, Anyhow, so the bubble. The bubble. <laughs> Bubble is Judd Apatow's new film and it stars his longtime collaborator and wife Leslie Mann amongst a cast of incredibly funny people. Um, Iris Apatow, his daughter, who we first saw in This Is 40, who is also in Euphoria doing a cracking job, uh, is in this movie as a TikTok star. 
responsible for some random dance sequences that aren't funny. Um, Pedro Pascal, who is in Narcos, and I love him. <laughs> He's in the movie just being randomly sexy. Uh, Peter Serafinowicz, who is uh, an amazing British comedic talent, is in a relatively unfunny role. Um, your man from Portlandia, whose name I've forgotten briefly. Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen oh. is in it. And a host of other people. Uh, David Duchovny? David Duchovny is what? in it. Oh, really? he, yeah. he plays a sort of on-again, off-again partner of Leslie Mann. They are all actors. They're actors who have been assembled in a pandemic bubble somewhere in the British countryside to film Cliff B6, uh, the conquering of Mount Everest and existential crisis about flying dinosaurs. Um, they have to be... They, <laughs> They have to quarantine for a couple of weeks uh, and then they're basically just shooting their film in, in green screen and complaining about their ill treatment while having obviously profound privileges that the rest of the world don't have, including being able to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is reference at one point to them being one of only two films in production, the other one being Mission Impossible, which of course is a reference to Tom Cruise cracking it at some you know, some gaffers who weren't wearing their masks when he was the only film in production. And all of the jokes basically land on that level. It's like, ah, 2020, Mm. the year that we don't want to remember and also feels like a million years ago, so why are we still talking about it? Um, And also it still sucks. (laughs) Long shadow of 2020 still sucks and I don't know if it's like as funny as you guys think it is. Mm. Um, so So basically ensemble comedy, extremely disjointed, it's a series of kind of very loosely assembled set pieces with not much a massive narrative through line, but it ultimately becomes about the actors all needing to escape because of the heinous conditions that they're under, which escalate to the point where somebody might lose a hand and, you know, there's like SAS-style officers who are kind of policing them and actors actors be actors, um, you know, just feeling like no one understands the deepness of their suffering. Mm. Well, that's it, really, and it goes for two hours. Well, um, two hours is <laughs> under time, isn't it? For Judd Apatow, I'm like, wipe another half an hour off that baby. Yeah, he likes to go, but generally I'm like, great, because yeah. it's like sitting and observing conversations between the funniest friends you never had. Oh, yeah. Uh, in my opinion. Not everyone, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, we're talking about two-hour-plus run times generally, but they feel like real people, you know, not so much the 40-year-old version, but definitely like – this is 40 and I love you, man. They feel like really wonderful people. They have a genuine bond and mm. they're just consistently funny the whole way through. There are definitely laughs in the bubble. I did laugh, but I think that is due to the titanic comedic talent that he has assembled for this film and not because of the script or narrative. So, you know, you do you do get kind of flashes. And in that way that everything, you know, everything was just like the kind of beige quality of joy in COVID. Mm. He has actually captured the beige quality of joy, like the uh, kind of ability to laugh that we've had for the two years. As much as you can muster. Yeah. Is it a bit self-referential? Like I'm always wary of film actors making jokes about acting. It's not self-referential so much as one of – like there is a grand tradition of Hollywood films that take – that to take a shot at Hollywood, yeah. like whether it's kind of more dramatic in the sense of the player or a, one of my great guilty pleasures, America's Sweethearts, um, with John Cusack and uh, the Welsh chick, um, which is actually – and Billy Crystal, which is very funny. Mm. Um, so, 
you're not kind of cringing because they're talking about themselves in a film where they're talking about how terrible they are. That's mm. that is again a grand tradition. It's just that it just doesn't land. Like mm. it's fine if it's funny. It's not as funny as it should be. It's not as biting as it should be because the jokes become so wild and preposterous. The many, many genuinely funny and terrible things about actors kind of get lost in what becomes like a very broad comedy. Mm. Um, you brought up was it Palm Springs. Yes. Uh, special effects, pretty big deal in Palm Springs, and, yeah. and which is kind of a new development, I suppose, in the last I don't know, 10 years or whatever in comedies? Yeah. Is this special effects reliant also? Yes, because you see the sequences that they're shooting in this kind of 3D environment and it's actually quite extraordinary (laughs) what can be achieved with green screen. There's this amazing scene where they all kind of quit climbing a cliff and they're just like dangling in space and it's really extraordinary like wow you know the metaverse is upon us yeah yeah um but it does not unlike in palm springs where it adds significantly to the narrative that is not the case here it's just like oh yeah well i mean they're shooting a movie so it's got to be there but it doesn't surprise you in any way Mm. other than off the top of your head do you have a making movie comedy that you uh i was thinking was bowfinger was that a I never saw Bowfinger. That was the one of the Steve one Martin. of the brothers. Ah, oh, yeah, no, no, mm. yeah, uh, like America's Sweethearts. America's Sweethearts. Oh, yeah. Yes, that is my. That is how I'm very to. lowbrow. I'm very <laughs> of the people. There, I mean, there are many classic. Catherine Zeta Jones is the Welsh person. The Welsh. Oh, of course, the Welsh. <laughs> how did you not know who I meant? No, hello. <laughs> um, so it would be look the bubble. You know, you've got. I, I'd imagine if you're a comedy fan, it'd be like, oh, look, there's Mary Bamford, there's Rob Delaney, or whatever. Like, yeah, they're all sort of wedged into a framework that makes you not. They definitely all have like a moment of laugh, but they're not like full flight. It, go and watch the Maria Bamford specials, which admittedly are on Netflix. Yes, <laughs> they do. They do, of course. I watched that Bo Burnham Inside special finally, and that was very much a pandemic. Have you guys seen that? No, no, I've heard about Let's it. Let's just start a whole new review. <laughs> Bo Burnham's Inside yeah. is a work of unmitigated genius. Yes. And even now, even though he's like literally locked in his room, it really hits and is really phenomenal. So, mm. And it can be done. And like, you know, we saw Judith, Lucy and Denise Scott mm. and that's about, you know, waiting for Godot in Melbourne basically yeah. during lockdown. Yeah, and waiting for COVID. Yeah, waiting for COVID. And it's utterly outstanding. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It oh, can be done. Yeah. Uh, but maybe not the bubble. Yeah, maybe not the bubble. So <laughs> like two recommendations and a dud is pretty good. Yeah, yeah I reckon. Yeah. I reckon. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty thorough. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Let's do it again. Yeah, awesome. Triple R. John Hopkins is an Associate Professor of Management and Innovation Fellow from Swinburne University of Technology and one of Australia's leading experts on the topic of flexible and remote work. He's involved in the first national survey of working arrangements in Australia since government work from home directions were lifted. And to tell us about its findings, the academic joins us now. John, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Uh, Can you tell us your academic background and, you know, the opportunities, if any, that lockdown has afforded your research and interest? Yeah, look, I've been um, studying the, the topic of flexible and remote work for almost 10 years now. First, uh, My first interest was really looking at congestion around cities around the world and ways in which we could actually reduce congestion. And 
Uh, when we started looking at that project, um, we started to think about, well, why does why do we get congestion in the first place? And the main reason for that is a lot of us follow the same patterns of work and we're traveling into the same place at the same time and out at the same time. So we started to question, well, why do we actually still do that? Because because once upon a time we would travel into the city because that's where the computer was and that's where the, the, the photocopier was. But now we have all those tools in our bags and in our satchels. So we started to question that. And um, yeah, so that was a real, started as a real passion project for me. But obviously in the last two years, the interest has, has exploded and it's become a, a huge global topic. Mm. So tell us about this survey, what you've done and who you've asked and what you've asked. Yeah, look, we've um, we've surveyed just under 1,500 Australian knowledge workers. And what, what a knowledge worker is, that's essentially somebody who works with information for the majority of their job and the information being on a computer. So if you think about it, um, you know, now that we have computers, uh, they're very portable. So that means that those people can essentially work from anywhere. So we, um, we researched uh, 1,500 knowledge workers around Australia, and we were essentially asking them what were their current work arrangements. And what we found was that um, just under a quarter of them have returned to the office full time. Uh, just under a quarter are still working remotely full time. But the other half are following what's called a hybrid work pattern. And that's what we were really interested in, because you hear a lot about hybrid work. And we know that it's um, when you split part of your week between the office and working remotely. But we wanted to learn more and more about exactly what that means and how you manage hybrid work models. And we found that there were three key models emerging from that. Okay, and what are these hybrid work models? Yeah, so the way that hybrid work is being managed around Australia at the moment falls into, into three main categories. One is where the days are actually prescribed by the, um, by the employer. So, for instance, employees have to come into the office on Monday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So there's, there's very little flexibility, but it's hybrid work because they work remotely on other days. Then the next model is um, similar to that, but the, the days are, are not prescribed, but the frequency is. So that means employees have to come into the office three days a week, but they pick which three days they are. And then the other model is the fully flexible model, whereby uh, employees are, are enabled to choose which days they come into and how often they come into the office. All right. And so what's the most popular? Yeah, look, they're, they're all very even. So they're all between about 13 and 15% each of the current people who are knowledge workers around Australia today. So there's no clear leader at the moment. Hmm. And uh, so... We've got these knowledge workers, which are, um, to be glib, is that like a white-collar desk slave? <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose so, yeah. Well, um, I wouldn't necessarily describe it exactly like that, but no. the type of people who, who travel into the city, into the CBD, into an office, and their job um, entails them spending most of their day in front of a computer. Yeah, and did you measure satisfaction or happiness? We did, yeah. And, and overall, uh, most groups are, are very happy with the arrangement and much happier than they were before COVID when they had less flexibility. Right. Uh, and what, what's the mood about where we're heading and how you think the city and even the country might look with the com yeah, its competing interests? Yeah, look, that's an extremely good question. And um, I think what, what the way we're heading or the thing that surprised me the most is that over the, over the last two years, prior to COVID, 
even though um, knowledge workers, they could actually perform their job almost from anywhere. They didn't. They came to the office full time. That was the norm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Only around 25% um, of office workers had access to flexibility. Then, of course, COVID came along and everybody had to go and work from home. They had no choice. So there was no flexibility in the matter. There was a pandemic going on and they couldn't go to the office. And, and there's a big transition period. Everybody had to, to do that at very short notice and uh, without any training. And of course, there were struggles and, and challenges uh, on top of that as well. But, but what happened was people tend to find that they were just as productive. Uh, so productivity definitely didn't suffer and in, in some cases actually improved. And that they liked it, that even during a pandemic, it gave them some level of flexibility and, and gave them improved work-life balance. And what we tended to see maybe in 2020 and 2021 is that there was an appetite for this to continue, maybe a day or two a week. So it's almost like when the pandemic finishes, I'd still like to work from home or work remotely a day or two a week. But over the last six to 12 months, I think the pendulum has swung even more. And what we found is, in our, in our recent survey, that 23% of people now, their preferred work arrangement is full-time remote. So they don't want to come into the office at all. So that is the probably uh, the most surprising finding from this study. What are the reasons they're giving for never wanting to return? Yeah, look, I think it's uh, it's more around the fact that they're, they're comfortable. They, they like being remote. They've got a, maybe got a better setup at home now than they have in the office. They don't want to commute. Uh, and really, it's about uh, that they don't see a purpose for them coming into the office. If they've been working from home for two years, things have been going well and they're happy. They don't see the point of, of having to shift that back again. What about the social effects of this? I know anecdotally, a lot of people were looking forward to the return to the office because they would interact with people more than they would at home. They'd see colleagues, especially for people who lived by themselves or um, wanted to get out of that home environment. What effects do you think, if people are saying, I'm never going to return to the office again, will there be social impacts from that? Oh, yeah, look, I, I mean, it's important to, to note that, that that is their choice. And, and I totally agree. I think there's definitely still benefits of the office. And I suppose that's the, you know, the beauty of, of hybrid work is that you still get to spend some time in the office with your colleagues and having those social interactions. But you also get that other time where you can uh, have a bit more flexibility, work from home or remotely. Uh, and we, we did ask in the survey what things work well in the office or what things work better remotely. And in terms of the office, people indicated that they like to come to the office for collaboration, social events, like you pointed out. So they're still very important for, for office culture, for training and for large meetings. So things like town halls and informing events. In academic research, is there any, uh, the idea of self-reporting happiness, is there anything that we should be wary of when people identify and measure their own happiness? Yeah, look, I mean, again, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, you, you can only ask people and ask them to benchmark it against how they felt previously. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and, and hope that they can, they can do that accurately. And what about your own workplace? Are you like, come on, Stacey, turn up once in a blue moon? Or like, given that you're uh, at Swinburne and you're, talk, you know, you live, you're living flexible and remote work research, what are you, do you practice what you preach? Yeah, look, I've worked full-time remotely for the last two years. And uh, prior to that, I would work remotely and work from home one or two days a week. Um, look, uh, as an organisation, we're definitely moving uh, students back into the classrooms. So that's really exciting. And I think that's definitely one of the activities 
that does work better face to face than online. So looking forward to getting back in the classroom with the students. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's a, real, a, a really good thing to look forward to. It's interesting also, if you have a family and you are established and you own maybe property and you have space at home, it's all well and good for you. But like people, knowledge workers who are starting out their career and, you know, wanting to get to know people and meet them and have incidental uh, relationships and even forge long life friendships. I mean, that's, let's be honest, totally unachievable over Skype. Yeah, look, uh, I think choice is very important and flexibility. So if people want to come into the office five days a week, they should be allowed to come into the office five days a week. Uh, and certainly as part of our research, um, not just in this project, but in previous projects, that's definitely been the way that organisations have looked at it. And you're right, you know, not everybody's circumstances are the same at home. And what you tend to find is obviously younger people are more likely to either live with their parents or live in a share house. And they're not going to have a spare bedroom and, and, you know, a nice office space compared to people who might be a bit older and a bit more established. That's completely that, that, that's completely correct. Um, and look, you know, on top of that as well, you know, young people do manage a lot of their lives online anyway. And so in many ways, it's it's really important that they do have that social interaction. So, look, I think choice is probably the, the key word in all this. Uh, so if we want to delve more into this research, where can you send us? Yeah, look, I can certainly send you to, to our, our website. So it's workflux.com.au forward, forward slash research. Fascinating. And who knew that uh, you would be right in this, the sweet spot of the zeitgeist <laughs> when you first started? <laughs> yeah, look, I'd love to, to say that I was some sort of Nostradamus and I predicted <laughs> that was going to happen. That, that definitely wasn't the case. It was something that I, I was very interested about. I thought it was a fascinating topic maybe 10 years ago. There were a lot of people certainly discussing it, there, but not a lot actually happening. It, I think it just fell into the too hard basket. Mm. We were really established. We had this, they had this status quo where people were used to coming to the office five days a week, and I think you know organisations were were you know frightened of upsetting that in case there were any negative effects, and mm. everybody went home and stopped working, and productivity fell off. All right. Well, John Hopkins from Swinburne University of Technology, thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. Triple R. I went past a cafe slash deli after work yesterday and I was starving and they have these beautiful rolls that I've seen as I've driven past but this time I actually stopped and I got this fresh roll and it had like salami and roasted vegetables in it. Uh, The roll was very fresh but it was a sourdough roll Mm -hmm. and I don't know that I've ever had a sourdough roll before. Pardon me? I've had sourdough. Yeah, but not in a roll. But not in a roll. And I bit into it and the insides were amazing and the taste was great. But my jaw, oh. it took forever mm. to actually chew through this this roll. Mm. I think you say it scratched the roof of your mouth. That's also no, a hazard. N- yeah, no, that's that'd be horrible as well. No, but like, I, I was so hungry. I ate it, but then I was like, oh, God, this is taking forever. I swear I got halfway through and I'm just, I, I had to stop because my, my jaw was so sore from chewing. I don't know. Is that a sign of getting old or what What that is? But it was just... Is that portion I, I control? But you know what? I actually did have to take some smaller bites. 
<laughs> Baby was just taking huge bites. It's like the French always eat baguettes and they say so thin because they can't chew them fast Isn't that like literally, because we all hear bit off more than you can chew as a metaphor. <laughs> but Bobby lived the it's metaphor. exactly it what I did. Happened. I had to mm. put it down. The sourdough roll. And I then mean, go back to it. Have you had a sourdough roll? No, mm. no, I haven't. But it does remind me of, say, a vanilla slice where it looks appetising mm. yep. and you – but the, the the no tooth is sharp enough to penetrate the pastry. <laughs> no. And so the custard spurts out everywhere yes. and it's just a – it's an – a culinary hazard. It is. Yeah. It's so thick and, it, and no one is ever getting their whole mouth around it and getting it in your mouth. Yeah. Like it's it's also why mouth. I never would go Mexican on a first date. Oh, or a tenth. Or a tenth. Yeah. Oh, right, not at all. <laughs> or, you know, for a 25th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Work up to it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Mexican, though, like, well, what about tacos, hard taco shells? I mean, I haven't had a hard taco in a very long time. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Do they have? Um, um, of course, they still have them. Mm. But, like, what a mess. But even the normal, even like traditional tacos, like soft, they, they spill out everywhere. How do you hold it? You know? Do you... Yeah. Still easier than a hard than a taco. It's mm. tough, chewy it's, roll. It's just a, a chip, I have to, um, isn't it? I have to work myself up to a pomegranate. Oh, yes. Like pomegranates, are, they require focus. Yeah. It's not a fruit that you can just... Bite into. Yeah, bite into and or, you know, enjoy on the run. You've got to individually t- take out the... What do you do with it? You like ba- bash all you the ba- seeds. You bang out. it, yeah. Like so, you chop it in half and then you bang the back of it so that the pomegranates fall out. Yeah, Is that what you would and, do? but or? then they're not all going to fall out. No, no so no, you've got to scrape it. Yeah. Malcolm Turnbull had a trick for it for some reason that people knew about, and I somehow now know about. It, <laughs> it was on TV. Don't like soak it in water and. I did anyway, not anticipate that this yeah. morning. <laughs> Malcolm Turnbull had a trick for eating pomegranates as Sorry. a food hack. <laughs> When we're talking about foods on the run, who chose to bring up pomegranates? Like, yeah, yeah. what are you going to grab from the fruit bowl on the way? Just got a so nice good. little pomegranate. And uh, you should see John Hewson's tip for eating cashews. <laughs> <laughs> what about his tip for eating birthday cake? <laughs> oh, oh, topical GST gag. Uh, but yeah, I think anything with like any crustacean, I, I Ooh, or, yeah. or any, like anything with a shell, I don't like to do that with an audience. Yeah, it's yeah. like lobster and stuff. Like you yeah. mean, yeah, shell gets messy. Shellfish, yeah, and I don't mind lobster. When I was in Samoa, we would go to this island, Namor Island, just off. It was this stunning beach, and they had these crabs that everyone loved. Uh, as soon as you got on the island, they were running everywhere. Mm. Um, but everyone would eat them, and I just just eating a crab out of the shell and they were just yeah. pulling it apart and sucking it out. I just couldn't think of anything worse. I had other fish, I think, a lot. Yeah, I couldn't actually right. eat it. But, they were, yeah, they were going all in and they didn't care. It just tasted great and they didn't care what it was yeah. coming out of. It's also uh, with food like that, you have to provide commentary as you're eating it all the time. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Because it's special or expensive. So what what kind of commentary are we talking? Oh, like oh, I mean, it's Gee, just, it's too expensive. boring to even say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like uh, you got to dig in to get the meat. Oh, geez. oh, like justify what you're doing. Yeah. I'm not oh, gross. This right. is the best way to do it. Or like chicken yes. wings, you have to eat them with your hands, but you know, so then no one thinks you're in the end. Right. Yes. I mean, of course you do. Yeah, but mm. I with the big with the like the big roll thing. I'm still I still am scarred from going on a date when I was 14. You went the, on a date when you were 14. Oh, one of many. <laughs> <laughs> And going to um, going to this this cafe, and we'd gone, to, you know, we'd gone to like to a movie or something, and I thought, oh, we'll have lunch. 
because it's middle of the day and I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Went to the cafe and he was like, no, I'm not going to eat. And I was like, oh. oh. So then I ordered a focaccia because it was, you know, it was a long time yeah. ago. And then it came to the table and he looked at it and looked at me and said, I can't believe you're going to eat all that. Whoa. Yeah. And wow. that was the only date? No, unfortunately. I, I bloody hope so. Yeah, it should have been. No, I don't think it lasted. I mean, look, when you're 14, what does that even lasts mean? a week. Well, then I ate it and he just so you watched me do it. Oh, I was so self-conscious. I love that you ate it, though. Like, yeah. Stuff you. Don't take put that, it in the bag. Chris. Yeah. So <laughs> you Kacha, watched me eat. Yeah. Obviously, focaccia. So the problem with that is also... It's messy. It all spills out when you, if you and cut it. And I was like, do I, it. they give you cutlery because it's so big? I'm like, am I eating a sandwich with a knife and fork? I mean, it's going to take long. It's going to prolong this date. And he's stuck here with me, this big fat loser, apparently. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And so, and what, and then Malcolm Turnbull leaned over and said, you know, you should use a knife and fork. You know, for you, should, you should be eating a pomegranate. <laughs> uh, but oh. yeah, so would you, sourdough roll sounds, yeah, it does sound too dense. Yes, That's absolutely. I just need a soft whatever roll. Mm. Um, but yeah. So you're I going go, for a barn me, but you got... Yeah, you, well, kind of, yeah. I, I've definitely cut my the roof of my mouth on a barn me. Um, but look, yeah, I, uh, just it was a little bit harder than I thought, but I got through it in the end, which was great. Um, mango is another thing that I love, but it's just so messy. Mm. Uh, yeah. So like, I, I love mangoes and I love seeing them, and but I, I won't often buy them. Just Really? Yeah. But you just, you know, you cut them and you do the grid thing. And... It's a bit too much. Oh, okay, yeah. So just soup for Bobby from now on. <laughs> <Just soup. laughs> Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website. <laughs>